Welcome to Oslo International Church's podcast, where we share weekly reflections from our community of faith. If you'd like to explore more of our resources or join us for a service, visit our website at oslointernational.church. And now, here's the message from our last Sunday service. Nice to see you all. Uh, Good evening. My name is Christina, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I used to be part of OIC for several years. Now, me and my husband, Anders, go to a church a bit downtown called United. Uh, I'm Norwegian, and I'm from uh, the south coast in Kristiansand. But I've lived in Oslo for many years now. Um, As I said, I've uh, been going to OIC for several years, and... Uh, The church and community here holds a special place in my heart, so I'm really happy Michael asked if I could come here today, and uh, it's really good to be here together with you. Um, We are celebrating a special day today. It's the third Sunday of Advent. As we see, there are three candles lit. In some Christian traditions, uh, the third Sunday of Advent is called the Gaudete Sunday, which comes from a Latin word, which means exuberant joy. So on this Sunday, the tone kind of shifts from expectation of Christ's coming to rejoicing at the arrival of God's kingdom. And I can't think of anyone more fitting to accompany us in uh, this Sunday than Mary and her song of praise. So let's stand as we read from the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So a few days prior to this event, Mary received an announcement from an angel that she would be with child and give birth to a son who would be called the Son of God and whose kingdom would be without end. 
And this wouldn't happen the, the normal way that children are conceived, but through the power of God's Holy Spirit overshadowing her. As an afterthought, the angel lets Mary know that her elderly relative Elizabeth has also experienced a similar miracle. She, who everyone thought was unable to have a child, is already six months pregnant. And of course, Elizabeth's son was to be John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. Throughout the scripture, God is often called the compassionate and the merciful one. And I think that this is a very clear example showing us just that. Mary is told who she can share this incredible news with, perhaps the only person on earth who at this point would be able to understand and sit with her in it. I can only imagine how important these three months with Elizabeth would have been for Mary. So Mary packs her bags and she runs off. Actually, after doing a bit of research, I discovered that that journey is actually longer than I thought, at least. We don't know exactly which village Elizabeth lived in, but we know the area, and it was probably about a 100, 150 kilometers walk. So that's a two, three day journey with long days of walking. For a teenage girl with morning sickness, carrying the wildest secret in the world. And maybe it was along this road that Mary composed her song of praise as she meditated on the scriptures and the psalms and pondered the words of the angel. Mary's song, or the Magnificat, as it's sometimes called, is her response to what God is doing, and is doing to and through her. And it's obvious that Mary sees this event as a continuation and fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, that he will bring salvation to earth through them. Mary's song bears similarities to Hannah's song of praise in the Old Testament. Hannah, who was longing for a child, and after long years of prayer, finds that she is pregnant with Samuel. And also there are words from the prophets and from the Psalms that really shine through in her song. And I think this shows us what Mary carries within her. Just like Jesus will say 30 years later, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And she can exclaim these words because she knows and inhabits the stories, the prayers and the poetry of the Bible by heart. And now she finds a way of making them her own to make sense of her situation. I don't know with you, but maybe you have tried praying from the book of Psalms and you've thought, this is not how I feel at all. At least that's my experience. And in our individualistic and sometimes emotion-focused culture, we might be led to believe that we are being insincere if we are praying something that we don't feel. I believe it's wise to learn and pray even the psalms that may feel alien to you, because one day you might need them. At the time when Mary memorized the song of Hannah, she had no idea that she would find herself in a situation where these words would bring her comfort and help to process and express her own experience. And I think the same goes for us today. 
So feeding ourselves with the psalms and the prayers of lament, of praise, and even those angry ones on any given day will help us to find words for prayer when the day suddenly comes on us and we find that we need them. As well as using these prayers for intercession and praying for others who find themselves in such circumstances. A notable thing about Mary's song is how powerful and how triumphant it is. At least that's something that struck me over the past days now. A young girl confidently proclaiming how God is overthrowing the mighty rulers of the world and lifting up the poor and the humble, feeding the hungry and sending away those with their pockets and stomachs full. Lutheran priest and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer noted in his Advent, Advent sermon uh, once in the 30s, he said um, that the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. And these powerful words are sung by a poor teenage girl. We must not forget how dangerous those news that Mary heard from the angel potentially were to her. She may have been convinced by the angel, but the angel didn't appear and bring the same message to Mary's parents, her future in-laws, her siblings, friends, neighbors, or the leaders of the synagogue. And only months later did her fiancé Joseph receive a message from the angel. As Maikon pointed out for those who were here last Sunday in his sermon about Joseph, there was no reference point for something like this in all of history. And I'm sure Mary knew quite well that if she was accused of being unfaithful and having a child outside marriage in this time, this could mean a total social exclusion and even death. Yet, Mary's response to God choosing her is one of faith and joy, exuberant joy, for herself and for her people. She is aware of the dangers and the impossibility of her story, but she knows that the God who has chosen her for this incredible task is the same God who will see her through it. So she responds with trust. And God doesn't solve Mary's complicated situation by miraculously convincing everyone around her about what is to about to happen, or by giving Mary superpowers so she could become invincible or able to defeat everyone who tries to lay their hands on her. No. God simply trusts Mary, just like she is. He trusts her with his own life. Thinking about it, God could have chosen to be born, into a hum be born a human into a well-off family, 
A couple who was already a few years married, had an established home and a secure job, living in a peaceful country. But instead, he chooses a poor young couple, barely engaged, who belonged to an oppressed people in a country occupied by foreign forces. It doesn't seem the ideal circumstances. And so often we feel that our circumstances are not ideal for God, God to work in our lives. And we forget that God often don't remove us from the hardships or waits until it's over before he moves. But the God of the Bible is one who shows up in the midst of chaos. And like Mary teaches us, that is the right time and place to praise God. You don't need to wait until the storm is over or until you feel like it. You can praise him now, right in the middle of it. In the words of Anglican priest Caroline Sharp, Mary's courageous song of praise becomes a radical resource for those seeking to honor the holy amid the suffering and conflicts of real life. And isn't that also what God is proclaiming to us through the incarnation by choosing to be born just the way that all humans are born? God shows us that the vulnerability, the blood and the screaming that takes place as a woman gives birth and the ordinariness of it all is as holy and as pure as anything else. We don't need to tidy up or clean our faces before we meet God. He chooses to meet us there, right in the middle of life as it is. He is not frightened or offended by our muddy hands or teary cheeks. Quite the contrary. He seeks our openness of heart, our vulnerability and our raw honesty. The incarnation shatters all our expectations. And maybe we sometimes fail to see it because the story has become so familiar to us. But the story of Jesus' birth is not God playing it safe. Rather, it is God finding and trusting ordinary people with his life, with no guarantees. Jesus' birth is, of course, extraordinary in that it is God taking on human form and the miracle of the virgin birth. But apart from that, everything is actually quite ordinary. The struggles of pregnancy, the pain and mess of a birth, the confusion of becoming parents for the first time, the hardships of poverty, the suffering of oppression and injustice are all common human experiences crossing both history and geography. And in a way, it can sometimes be more comfortable for us to spiritualize our faith, to believe in a God who is distant, and far away. But the incarnation doesn't allow us to do that. God isn't removed from or afraid of the dirt and mess of our lives. Quite the contrary. He enters it and he enters the world through it. Quite literally letting himself be born in a dirty barn. And so many of the world's religions will tell you that in order to find salvation, you need to somehow escape your body or escape this world. As uh, theologian Ronald Roldheiser reminds us, 
This couldn't be further away from the message of Christianity. The spiritual isn't set against the physical. They are one. These barriers are broken down by the incarnation. When the God of the Bible became flesh and made his dwelling among us, as it says in John 1. This tells us that the material world and our bodies are sacred, not just our soul. After all, it is our bodies that God has chosen as the dwelling place for his Holy Spirit, as it says in 1 Corinthians. So if we are longing to live a full life that's glorifying God, it seems we should rather learn to inhabit and honor our own skin than to try and escape it. Because your body is sacred in the eyes of God. The incarnation isn't just a once-off experiment that lasted for 33 years and was then called off. It started with Jesus' birth, but it continues even today. Every time we share the Eucharist, we take part in the body and the blood of Christ. And every time we touch another person's face, we are touching God himself. This can be a hard truth to grasp because it's so incredibly common, familiar and ordinary. And again, it may just be, feel easier to spiritualize it all and believe in a God who is only spirit. But in the incarnation, the word became flesh. God came up close and not just close, but he became one of us in all the meanings of that phrase. So let us learn from Mary's courageous trust in God when we find ourselves in the midst of situations that we can't see the solution to. And may it not stop the flow of praise from our mouths, but rather be a catalyst for it. Let's pray that God will make the story of the incarnation new for us again this Christmas, and that we will have the eyes to see the sacred and the wondrous when we look at ourselves, the people around us, and our ordinary lives. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious on you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully. Do you want to stay connected with us? Check out our website at oslointernational.church to discover more about our community, access additional resources, and join us in our faith journey. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.